you know my problem with names, like character names? Uh, yes. Edel, Edelgard? That, that's her name, right? Yes. I can't call her Edelgard. Like, I, it, I have to stress and think to call her Edelgard, because the first time I read her name, it read and registered as Edgelord. I mean, not a million miles off. Welcome to Brokazatsu, two brothers' exploration of tokazatsu shows and related media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I apologize to Sam for recommending he get a Switch and uh, giving him hundreds of hours of entertainment, but taking I up a I had so fair much I wanted to do, Harry. There is, there is so much of my life that I'm just not going to do because I'm playing F- Fire Emblem now. You'll, you'll thank me later, in the long run. Hmm. Probably. After I marry Edgelord. Yeah, you <laughs> There's some there's some really fun things to get to do in that route specifically. Alright, but Sari, Harry, what are we here to talk about today? Uh today we are here to talk about uh Tokusatsu shows. And first we're starting with Pirate Sentaiko Kaiger. Episode hey. thirty Episode thirty nine. We are high school students. Why? <laughs> that's a very that's a very on point question, Harry. Yeah, uh, even this episode is not fully committed to its own premise, but I I love it from this. I love it not, uh, nevertheless because it starts with Basco uh, on his ship reading Space Sports Extra, mm-hmm. and then he uh, yes he's reading a newspaper uh, and then he turns and he sees that the bounties for the uh, Gokaiger team have been increased dramatically after the death of the prince. Yep, uh, Sam. Do you have a guess as to what the text of this paper is? Because remember, every time I've read it, it's been like them explaining the concept of planets, the concept of uh, wanted posters. What what do you think the front page text is this time? Uh, Explaining the concept of princes? Kind of. It seems to be like the concept of government or laws. Like I'm looking at a screen cap. When informal relationships and uh, sanctions prove insufficient to establish and maintain a desired social order, yada, yada, yada. Wait, does it actually say yada yada yada? No, it goes on to talk about a government or a state. I mean that that is kind of that is kind of important for them to be talking about because the heir of the universe's empire just died, Harry. Yeah, like this is this is big news, and our Basco is right. They've made things complicated, but they have a little bit of a window to deal with other things while this is going while that's working in the background. Yeah, but uh, before we move on, Harry. Um, Turns out that Marvelous's uh, bounty is now unlimited. Yeah. Which is uh, a bit of an interesting figure. Yep. Everybody else, their bounties have like doubled or tripled, but Marvelous just has a blank check attached to his head, which is interesting. Yes. You could turn him in and request any figure, and in theory, the Zangiac Empire will give it to you. Yep. And Luca sees this and kind of starts side-eyeing Marvelous, and everybody in the ship has to tell Luca to stand down. Well, I mean, I think she gets herself to stand down after she points out to Marvelous, like, hey, we can turn you in and get a lot of money. Uh, but instead, they are going to treasure navigate. Oh, by the way, Harry, did you notice that uh, Doc was still at 50k? 
Uh, yeah, he he was still very low. They they think he's basically a team mascot. The bird Navi gives itself a concussion, says something about a high school. Yep, Moroboshi High, and guy just pops up saying, "Hey, that's where the Mega Rangers went." In America, we would know them as the Power Rangers in space. Great. And the rest of the Gokadgers are saying, like, all right, so we're dealing with some high school students. The guy has to say, like, no, actually, like, they graduated decades ago. Um, We're dealing with weird time frames here. Anyway, let's just go check it out. Yeah. And so they go, and it turns out that, of course, the uh, principal, like, was he a principal? Was never entirely sure of his official spot at the school. He He's a teacher. Uh, And, yep, it's it's Kenta, who was uh, Mega Red. And when the Gokadgers just kind of walk into the school he says like oh you're the you're the space pirates we're finally getting our visit i've been looking forward to this <laughs> yep and you know they just kind of ask him for his ultimate power uh well at the same time talking about the high school and how uh basically none of them have formal educations yeah like i'm looks out the window and says like oh i i was educated by a tutor so i never really went to school I'm, i've kind of always wondered what it would be like to experience it and then everyone, and then Joe says, like, yeah, I never went to school. I never wanted to. And Lucas says, I lived in a bombed out garbage pit for all of my life. And I try to just shove down those memories. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, former Red Ranger, you know, scratches his chin and says, yeah, well, he invokes the Billy Madison clause. He says that he's happy to hand over the ultimate power, but first they must attend the high school. Yeah. Just hang out here a little bit. Uh, get in high school uniforms. The super wanted space pirates that are uh, i mean they're in a weird place legally well they're not in a weird place legally like they're they're verboten like they're the most wanted people in the galaxy like they're the most evil most like sought after criminals in the entire universe they did just kill the prince of everything <laughs> also uh uh interesting aside like a lot of these actors aren't they harry aren't they kind of 18 still they're not much older than they should be for high school. Like, it's... I don't know. Like This the, is kind of like non-Dawson's casting. No, it's... All Toku stars are way younger than they should be. Uh, I think... God, like... Like, some of the recent Toku stars... Like, the, the one... So, Kamen Rider Zero One is starting soon. Uh, the lead actor for that wasn't born when The Matrix came out. Jesus Christ. Yeah, just to give some, some context. Yep, so we get a, a nice montage of the uh, the Rangers just going around and being high school students. Uh, Marvelous decides to play basketball. Luca and Doc are in a study hall uh, harassing a couple kids. Uh, Joe and I are uh, just watching a love connection between an awkward girl and a preppy boy. Yeah, they basically the instant they got into these uniforms, uh, they walked off and were like, he did say we had to attend class. We're just going to hang out until, you know, he gives us the power. So it turns out, like, uh, the awkward girl, she doesn't need help. Uh, Marvelous, of course, is awesome at basketball because he can kind of fly. He basically plays using flubber rules. I mean, he's a space alien with super strength. Like, he he was casually breaking the world records of uh, athletic events, like, in one of the first couple episodes. So it's it's not fair. Yeah. There is a, a glorious shot where, you know, I'm and Joe are kind of observing uh, the mating rituals of 17-year-olds. And then the former Red Ranger just kind of appears out of the ground and, like, nodding his head suggestively. After a little bit, they, uh, he's kind of, he's seeing the Gokadgers connect with the students, you know, having some emotional things of seeing, like, oh, hey, here's some people who did grow up in war-torn, uh, uh, hell holes. You know, you can have an actual life and stuff. But he turns and sees a weird monkey. Yeah, uh, it's Sally. 
And so he chases her for some reason. A uh, guy sees him chasing her. And, what, what, uh, no, you say some reason. If you just saw a monkey wandering around, would you want to see what's going on there? Well, it, Harry, we we got rangers around. Like, if, if I saw an armored monkey walking around a school where I knew for a fact that there were space pirates, my first response would not be to chase the monkey. My first response would be to go to the space pirates. Eh, they're, they're doing their own thing. Uh, so he wanders off, and uh, it, the monkey has climbed up a tree, and Basco steps out from behind it. Hello, hey, Mr. Max Mega Red. And Guy, who has been following him, shows up to explain that this is Basco, a super dangerous, a different space pirate, and you can't trust him. Yeah, because it turns out that Basco has planted bombs all over the school. Mm-hmm. Like, all over the school. Like, he's he's put, like, 50 bombs just in different rooms. Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder, do you think these are the bombs he got from that previous Red Ranger's assassination attempt? Entirely possible. Yeah, he's just recycling them. And he says, hey, uh, you have ten minutes, I can disarm them all uh, from right here. Just give me your ultimate power. Yeah, that's a that's an oddly long, like, lead-up time for this whole bomb thing to be going off. Like, hey, it's not like one minute, it's not two minutes, it's ten minutes. That's actually enough time, because... Uh, when it turns out it happens, like, the Rangers show up, they confront Bosco, uh, but then a couple students run up and they say, hey, we could actually help locate these things. They decide, all right, we're going to use uh, Professor Kenta's usual password, so I guess he's shit at uh, password security, and they log into the school scanning software, because this is the high school that the Mega Rangers went to, it's still full of super tech that the students, I guess, have full access to. <laughs> That's not going to cause any problems. So the Sentai, except for Guy, go back to the school to help the students uh, uncover the bombs. And Guy stays behind to hold off Sally and Basco. Now, Harry, as a reminder, the last time this group faced, this group faced Basco, he kind of tanked them all to the face and made it look easy. And snapped Guy's arm like a twig. Yeah, like it's... It seems like they should be a bit more hesitant about just leaving a single person behind, don't you think? Yeah, this is a pretty light episode. Like, Basco is not trying super hard here. Uh, Sally is is doing most of the fighting for a while until Basco gets bored. Like, ugh, whatever. He transforms and does start beating on them. Uh, until Sally, like, so, yeah, we get to the fight. Like, they find the bombs, they shrink the bombs, uh, they come, they fight... And uh, what happens, what the reason they are able to get Basco away is that they injure Sally. And so Basco immediately stops the fight, uh, summons two giant monsters, and then, you know, takes Sally away, saying, we'll call this one a draw. So, I mean, showing some development there, does Basco care about Sally? Uh, it would appear so. I mean, like, he he hasn't... This is kind of the first time he has expressed an emotion other than snark. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Basco... He has plans and interests, I'll say. One of those interests being a female monkey. Yeah. Let's not read too much into that. Uh, but no, yeah, they go into the giant mech. They use their uh, new power-up they just got, where they combine all of their mechs into... I forget the name, but it's just... Uh, their their car friend who joins the crew splits apart and is torn into different pieces to become armor and a big fist. And it's horrifying, I'm sure, if you're a car person. Yes, I mean they, they they take out the two guys. It's it's not a big deal. It's kind of a boring Megazord fight. Yeah, it's it's a perfunctory uh, tribute episode that doesn't really matter. But the next episode is a tribute episode that they have a lot more fun with. So let's just go straight into that. Yeah, this one is a time travel episode, Harry. Go Kaiser episode forty, 
The future lies in the past. Where they travel all the way back to 2010. They travel back to, like, the the crossover movie from the previous two groups, actually. <laughs> That's brilliant. When we start, Guy's just training a little bit with Joe, they're on the galleon, but then an alarm starts going off, and the giant drill machine that Guy can drive shows up outside. Yeah, and it kind of rams the galleon a little bit, and Guy's apologetic, even though he didn't uh, do anything. He goes over to a ship, and he finds a weird time probe that has a hologram of a former ranger. Or a future ranger? A little unclear on this. Uh, both, considering he's from the future, but went into what would be their past. Okay, okay. Harry, what exactly is the timeline on this show? Uh, so, Time Ranger, they are from the 31st century. They were, basically, they were kind of cops policing the timeline or whatever. But at one point, a big group of villains all broke out and went to the, you know, 20th century, where they had to chase them there. Uh, they met, there were four of them. There was supposed to be a fifth, but he got killed. He was the team leader. And they, so they had to deal with somebody from this time who became their Red Ranger. Uh, it was a whole big thing where they fought and they had very strict rules on, they weren't supposed to talk with people. They weren't supposed to change the timeline more than they were supposed to. And, you know, they couldn't really associate with people. And pretty much all those rules got broken to different levels. It's, it's a little confusing. Somebody was trying to create a paradox on purpose to prevent his own death, but said just made someone else like him die, and then he died anyway. Yeah, I mean, it would appear that this uh, former ranger leader definitely associated with someone with his penis. Well, he, he was the, the yellow ranger. He wasn't the leader. He was the yellow, not the red. So was was there not a red? No, the, the red was from, uh, was from, like, past time. But got taken into the future? No, they, they came to the present, and they need, basically their leader got killed, and they needed somebody to connect with the leader's equipment so that they could use all of their stuff. And they just, a guy who was there and, you know, seemed up for it, uh, they let him join the team. Okay, that is definitely breaking the laws of time travel. And on the subject of breaking the laws of time travel, um, they this dude is sending the Gokaijers on a mission to change the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think at a certain point they realized you could change some bits and it's fine. So he wants them to go back to October 2nd, 2010 and protect the Megakuri Temple because it got destroyed for some reason and they don't know why. Yeah, and uh, I gotta say, Harry, at the end of this episode, still kind of don't know why. We'll get there. Yeah, uh, they go back in time. Luca immediately asks if a guy remembers any lotto numbers. Because mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Luca is on point. Also, Harry, they've gone back to 2010. What what time is Gokaiger? Uh, I think it's like 2000 and... Well, this this is the crossover movie between uh, Shinkenger and Gosager, and Gosager is the year before Gokaiger. So this is like them going back a year and a half or so. That That's barely worth it. Yeah, well, I mean, the movie was then, and the Gokaiger did actually make a preview in that movie. They use actual footage. Yeah, I... I got that. I was picking up on that. Wait, so the fight that we see the Gokaijers take part in in this episode was from the movie? Mm-hmm. Like, they, I think they changed a couple minor lines because they needed to fix the plot, but it was ba ba they knew this was going to happen. Uh, the Gokaijers show up. They It happens a lot in the crossover movies, actually. Like, a future team will appear and fight a little bit. Like, if there is a movie we may watch later where the Go were the Go Busters, the series after Go Kadger show up in a Go Kadger movie. Interesting. 
And I mean, yeah, they I've also noticed they do that on the Common Rider stuff. Like we saw Common Rider O's show up in the Common Rider Double movie. Yeah, they Toei knows to get that uh, marketing machine going early. And by early, it's only like a couple months early, right? Because <laughs> they're already deep in production. I mean, yeah, yeah, like usually around the time one series is at its first third is when you start hearing about the next one. And usually by the time a series starts, you, there's been enough leaks for the toys and suits that are getting made that you can almost predict big parts of the plot. Hmm. Like, it's weird being a Toku fan and dialed in because you get spoiled so much. It's like being a Marvel fan. Don't go to the Lego sets, Harry. Just ignore the Lego sets. Precisely, precisely. Uh, when the go catchers show up to the Mega Curry Temple, there are a bunch of uh, kind of weird squid uh, warrior looking dudes. So they spook him off. Uh, there's a kid that was being menaced by the squids. So guy sticks around and, uh, you know, to have some heart to hearts with him. The kid says like, hey, uh, well, the guy tells the kid, all right, we've saved you. We can escort you home. But the kid protests saying like, I'm not going home. I I moved out. I'm doing fine. <laughs> I kind of did take any notes about guy and the kid bonding. Like, I just put a note, guy bonds with kid. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I, I did. I'll, I'll. I'll bring out the the normal points. Mm-hmm. But uh, the rest of the team runs off because the mooks did run off and they ran into the plot of the crossover movie. The <laughs> Shinkenger and Gosager are, they're all lined up and being good friends. And the Gokengers are just kind of attached like, oh, there they are. I guess we have their keys, so this really is a different time. Uh, whatever. If we just kill some of these squid people, that'll help them, right? The, we're kind of paying them back for the powers. Whatever, let's murder. <laughs> They were going to die anyway, he says, marvelous. And so they they start murdering people from the previous shows. And uh, while this is happening, the temple starts to get threatened by this kind of, like, walking missile launcher. Uh, yeah. This is from Gosager. Gosager had different disparate groups of villains, as far as I can tell. Like, they almost beat one a third of the way in, and then they just had a new villain, stuff like that. Uh, and there is a scientist lady... She's very much a lady. She has big boobs on her armor. She has like a G-cup blaster. I looked at her stats, and I mean, I, I think it's not a particularly nuanced female character here. <laughs> yeah, so she shows up and tells him to blow up the temple. Still not sure why. I guess there's an energy signal emanating from it. A massive there's some energy- kind of weird pot. Yes, a weird pot, Sam. In, in the Power Ranger series, have you ever heard of someone being in a weird pot? Wait, is that Rita Repulsa in there? No, it's it's not it's not a dumpster on the moon. Hmm. Well, that that'll be covered in a later episode. So okay, uh, guy has a little chat with the kid before at, uh, all that happens at the temple. And the kid is just he's sad because his mom is a writer and she just keeps moving for different jobs. She gets really deep into projects and he never has time to make friends. It's it's rough having to constantly you know, put down new roots and then get them pulled back up. And he doesn't have a father. Hint, hint. (laughs) He really is just dealing with this on his own. Guy says like, hey, you know, my parents moved a lot when I was a kid too. And because of that, I made way more friends. I went out my way to talk to everybody. I, even if I seemed obnoxious or annoying, I went to talk to people and I had friends everywhere. So, you know, you can just put that kind of spin on it. Uh, so at this point, the missile launcher shows up and tries to uh, blow up the temple. Uh, there's a pretty perfunctory fight. Yeah, a uh, guy fights him. His theme song plays Hagane no Kokoro, which I really like. Uh, the rest of the go-catcher show up. They all do transformation. 
they do kind of lament for a little bit that they might have destroyed the timeline because they murdered some people in a past uh, that they weren't supposed to. Uh, but they get over it pretty fast. Whatever. They don't got to worry about that whole butterfly effect. Like, they got bigger pictures. They do some bull time moves, and then they just kill the thing. He gets big, and then they they kill him again. Uh, well, Guy kills him. Guy gets to fight him alone because they're in the past, so they don't have the galleon. They just have the flying drill, which apparently is a time-traveling flying drill. Well, it, it is. It's the Time Ranger ultimate power, and their ships could travel through time. Although they needed to be punched by a giant robot to do it, it's... The method of time travel in Time Ranger is kind of weird. Yep, so they go back into the future, at which point uh, someone just kind of mentions, like, hey, did we ever get an ultimate power from those guys? And everyone freaks out, like, you know. Yep, Marvelous just kind of straight up starts shaking Guy, like, you forgot to get a power from them, we did this for nothing. Perhaps coincidentally, there is a close-up of the temple still present in current times. Where a strange jar is sitting there. Yeah, and then as the episode closes, uh, we jump into the far, far future of the 31st millennia. uh, Or, I guess, third millennia, whatever. And uh, the Time Ranger, he is reviewing the logs of the day and notices a picture. Or, uh, he gets a letter from Guy, uh, complete with a little drawing. And he included a picture of the little kid. Yeah, and the kid, and uh, Domon, the... Time Yellow is pissed because, like, oh, you talk with people in the past, you're not supposed to do that. Uh, and he looks at the photo and realizes, oh. Oh, that's a woman that I slept with. <laughs> I probably should get angry at you for for talking with her. Yeah, and he says, like, ah, the kid is handsome just like me. And then he just literally breaks down crying alone in the room. Episode over. Yeah, it's an oddly, like, sad and poignant ending for a kind of fun time travel episode. All of the Time Rangers, when they went back in time, had kind of different stuff they had to deal with. His was, he fell in love with a woman and had to leave her. And that was the end of the story up until this point. <laughs> yep. Guess he left her a present. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Time travel. Uh, so let's uh, let's go on to Common Rider Guy, Harry. Writer Guy, starting with episode 7, Wrecking Ball, Watermelon, Big Bang. As we begin this episode, uh, Durian, our uh, Kamen Rider Bravo, is thrashing uh, Kamen Rider Acorn and Kamen Rider Dark Lord. (laughs) Ornak is running away, yelling, he's no ordinary baker. Uh, Dark Lord is, I guess I'm just adopting your names, because they make about as much sense. Mm. Uh, He's yelling for teamwork. Bravo is just smacking him up in the air, stabbing him with his mohawk. He just beats them. Yeah, really it, it's easily. not even not even close. Like these guys, he's just thrashing them. They have no chance whatsoever on him. And then he takes he takes their lock seeds, says these are my spoils, and he walks away with a flourish. Yeah, if this was a real war, you'd be in a body bag. And so everybody in the crowd watching is impressed, except for Kota, who <laughs> kind of tries to guilt trip him, I guess. You know, that wasn't even a fight. What's the fun of making fun of somebody as you beat the hell out of them? Kota is not a fan of the Spider-Man method, I guess. So the baker, like, detransforms and kind of explains uh, some of his, uh, some of his, uh, 
mentality, uh, along with a whole lot of mercy text bubbles. Like, apparently, whenever he speaks French, there's just a little bit of a text bubble with a Japanese translation. Yeah, he says, you know, such is the nature of sports entertainment. The viewers want blood, and tis the player's duty to provide. Uh, he he almost turns to Kota and says, I'm playing the heel here, you know? This is a big sports thing, and I'm just being a big, bombastic villain. And uh, I, I appreciate that, like, wrestling is only good when there's good heels. Yeah. Like, you think you want to watch heroes. What you actually want to watch are the heels. Like, the interesting thing about Bravo is that he came into this from the side, and most of the uh, beat writers don't really understand it, But and Kota is the only man, Kota and Kaito, I'd say, are the ones who know how dangerous this is. So Bravo, if he did, he'd be like a super jerk for doing this, but as it is, he's just kind of beating up dudes into sports competitions that they agreed to. Yeah, yeah, he is... As far as I can tell, he's doing nothing wrong, like breaking no rules. And, you know, he's a baker who somehow got placed into a dance competition and as a result is doing Pokemon battles in an armored power armor suit. Because that makes sense, Harry. Because that makes sense. Uh, DJ Sagra, the man calling out the fights and kind of doing the hype videos, is giving some breakdowns. saying like, yeah, he's he's gone around. He's crushing his way through four other teams. You know, he's got, like, a huge collection of lock seeds. And he's also sent a fight pro- promo to us that we're going to play right now. <laughs> uh, I trust the display of true fighting passion was to your taste. I hope you've seen just how a professional outclasses these amateurs. If you stop giving these beat riders the oxygen of attention, they'll soon fade away like they deserve. So I ask you, my darling people, keep your eyes on me and you'll see what I can do. All eyes on me. Off in the Team Gaim, uh team game clubhouse my is saying like man having the skill to make such wonderful cakes must make him dangerous in a fight and everyone just <laughs> kind of looks at her for that because my is not my is not up on the whole fighting part of the equation like i could maybe see knife skills coming into play but that's kind of the only thing yeah i mean my is just a fan of him because he makes really good cakes and coach is like yeah but he's a threat to every other beat writer uh you know why is he even doing this did someone piss him off and someone points yeah. out and uh, Bando says, maybe it bugs him to see you guys just having fun. Like, he's he's at the top of his craft. He's a professional. He's worked his whole life. And as far as he could tell, you're just a bunch of teens, you know, messing around. Like, he, like he, he is being a bit of an old guy yelling at teens on the internet to take things more seriously. But, like, that's a fun level of villainy. By the way, Harry, on the subject of my, like, so Maya's totally, like, fangirling, like, you know, crushing on this guy. Like, not particularly a romantic way, but... In the next episode, we're going to kind of start to see the seeds of my crushing on uh, Baron a little bit. Well, you know, the main character and Michi, the two people who are thematically supposed to be going after Mai, are very much being left in the dust. Like, is is that something that continues with this series? Like, you know, Mai just being attracted to everyone but the people directly in front of her? Well, I think the thing is that Mai is one of the few people in the group mature enough to know that she can, you know, have admiration for someone and not mix that in with romance. Like, uh, if Michi learned that lesson sooner, he might he might avoid some problems that happen. Yeah, Michi's gonna get in some trouble, isn't he? Kaito, for his part, is not doing his maturity thing, so he says, like, hey, I bet Bravo would love to see you two moping around. He's, whatever he's doing, he's backing up with power. You can only, you can only argue with power by getting more power. So, uh, Baron has been challenged by Bravo, and they're going to go fight in an abandoned alleyway in a little bit. Uh, but first, we get to cut to the, uh, villains, the actual villains. 
Um, and they're angrily discussing that, for some reason, an elite paratrooper army soldier has gotten himself a lock driver. Yeah, he fought in Africa and the Middle East as part of the parachute regiment of the French Foreign Legion. Uh, he changed his name to Pierre Alfonso from Genosuke. He gained his title of Master Petitier, and he returned to Japan last year. Takatora says, all right, he's an elite soldier with real combat experience. How did this such a dangerous individual get his hands on a warring driver? And they're legit pissed at this. Like, they were trying to just get these into the hands of, you know, listless street dancers, not actual soldiers. Yeah, uh, well, he's pissed, but everybody else is almost having fun at how much Takatora is getting pissed. Because it is like, hey, you know, I only give the driver to specific people, but if they don't initialize it like a big idiot and let someone else steal it, that's their fault. Yes, and at this point, the DJ calls in. It turns out that the entire dance competition is just a total astroturf from the Yggdrasil Corporation. Like, hey, you never know what's going to happen, Overseer Kurishima. Didn't you lose that valuable watermelon lock seed uh, last week? <laughs> it just has a shit-eating grid as Takatora gets kind of dressed down. So we didn't mention it on the show, I don't think, but there was a moment where uh, Michi saw that Takatora, like his brother, had a belt and stuff. It was like, oh man, is he involved? And out of the briefcase, he stole a watermelon. Yeah, uh, we then cut to an evil scientist even further up in the organization. And yes. uh, he says some foreboding things. I don't think he says anything particularly plot relevant yet. Uh, we're just doing the establishing shot that he exists. This is the introduction of Professor Ryoma. Uh, Sam, do you recognize this man? No, he was in dark lighting and just kind of bent over a table. Uh, he was Augury in Garo. The, the bow guy. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, he also wasn't wearing glasses. Uh, yeah, this is Professor Ryoma. Uh, his name is Sengoku Ryoma. So he was a source of the weird confusion where the, uh, as we know, the warring drivers were called Sengoku drivers. And that's the name for the warring states era. So that was translated. But then it turned out to be a professor naming it after himself. So some people said, <laughs> so this guy's kind of warring statesman to some jerks on the internet. <laughs> just, just making fun of the poor translator. Uh, that one's not on the translator. That's just bad luck. On one series of uh, Sentai, there was a mech that was named like uh, something O, which is like King. And so they just changed it to King. And then their super mode was the mech named King. So they're just like, fine, we'll just change that one to O. We'll just swap them. <laughs> hey, that's creative. But anyway, Professor Ryoma is getting crazy good data out of this guy because he's a trained soldier and they're kind of developing these belts for purposes where a trained soldier might want to use them. So like, hey, let him have it a little longer, uh, Takatora. It'll make my job a lot easier. And Takatora just flips the shit like, fine, just keep your eye on the streets, do well. And everybody makes faces as he storms out of the room. Uh, we then cut to the Baron versus Bravo fight. And Baron is losing. Saying like, ugh, you have such might, what are you? And Baron says, I've been trained at this, you know? Like, I'm not just a kid on the street. So Baron says, well, yeah, you've fought in normal battles, but you can't win like that normally. Well, you can't win with that strength alone. And he summons some invests. Yes, and he holds on to them and uh, directs them to go attack Bravo. Uh, but Bravo manages to take these guys out and, uh, and uh, take out Baron pretty handily. Yes, not bad for an amateur, but you need to learn that the best art is the most fragile. So he rips the lock seat away from Baron, but then he kind of uh, juggles it in his hand and hands it back to him. He says, you know, you're bad, 
but you have promise. So I want to see you get better, and then I want to do this again. Yeah, train yourself up. Uh, like, you just took a rather deep wound, but I like your style. We cut to the Team Gaim stage, where a group of people are dancing. And the people in the crowd are kind of enjoying it, but they're even openly talking about, like, hey, isn't there, like, a cool fight going to happen here? I think that Bravo guy's going to show up and beat up the dancers we like. Harry, no one cares about the art anymore. No one cares about the art of street dancing. Uh, and, true to form, Bravo does show up. Yeah, he talks uh, He talks a little shit about street dancing. Uh, both uh, the main character and the, the grape common writer are there, and they both transform and agree to fight him. Yeah, if the city's really going to provide public stages for this nonsense, the least they could do is make sure the acts are talented. Uh, like, Kota yells, where do you get off judging or dancing? And he says, I don't see anyone else doing that. So, uh, Gaim, like, during the fight, uh, Gaim is kind of holding his own, and he's trying to talk him back into just being a baker. Like, hey, you love being a baker. Don't you just want to be a baker? Uh, and all this time, uh, Michi is trying to get a shot in, because he has, like, the gun power. But Bravo, because he knows how to fight, is, you know, keeping Kota uh, at, at bay and using him as a human shield for Michi, so he can't get a shot in. And instead he has to run in close, at which point he gets kicked, because you don't bring a gun to a kick fight. Also, there's a huge crowd around. Should he really be, like, firing that gun randomly into the crowd? Eh, I mean... <laughs> there's a lot of safety problems going on. Like, what happens right now? Because uh, Bravo's like, alright, I just saw a cool trick. Uh, I'm gonna summon some, like, soldiers and use them to fight you guys. So he pulls out all the lock seeds. Yeah, he activates them, just throws them on the ground, being like, all right, you're my soldiers now, you'll follow my orders. And instantly, there is a huge swarm of monsters attacking everyone in the crowd, because he does not know how these things work. Yeah, I I feel I should jump in again, Harry. Where the fuck are the police? Eh, police? I mean, this is a plan municipality. Yagdrasil probably owns them. Like, this is a known individual, and he just summoned, like, 20 monsters into a crowded town square to attack people. Yeah, uh, he's yelling at them, like, saying, I'm, I'm your commander, how dare you? Uh, there's a big, like, bat monster flying around and swooping at people. Yeah, Gaim and Grape and uh, Bravo, they're all fighting like the Invis as they're showing up and uh, destroying them. Michi throws Gaim uh, the watermelon lock. Because they're kind of getting overwhelmed and they need something to turn the tide. So he activates it, and a giant big metal watermelon shows up in the air. Like, it's twice as big as a person is. And he's like, oh, this is this is bad. Michi, it's gonna squash me. And uh, it squashes him. It falls down onto his head and then drives him into the ground. And Bar Baron has a good chuckle about this. But then but then it starts spinning and driving around and smashing into the invest because it's a big wrecking ball. Big bang. Uh, so this is actually uh, Sloan... Uh, it's slowing Bravo down, like, uh, Bravo tries to attack the thing and is repelled. Mm -hmm. Like, this... This was not meant to get to these, uh, beat, beat riders and stuff. Like, I think this is... Because all the other lock seeds, they just got pulled off the trees. I think these ones are specially developed to be big mech armor. And, uh, Bravo picks up a girder, smashes the watermelon with it, and it reforms into a giant robot suit that you may recognize from the weird... Uh, kind of flash forward question mark scene where there were flying mechs. Uh, maybe I, Harry, I I really need to go back and review episode one now, like the opening of episode one. Yeah, the the point is, it's a whole big robot suit, and Kota is is beating up the Invest now. Uh, one 
One small invest eats a bunch of the locks and turns it into a giant uh, invest boar. Yep, straight out of Princess Modded, okay. Q30 to 50 uh, feral hogs reference because of, of the timing. So, yep, they have a bad CGI fight. There's a rolling melon. Uh, Michi gets on. I, I was a little unclear on this. Is this Michi's bike or is this someone else's bike? Uh, that's that's Gaim's bike because he had a bike, but he just tosses it to Michi because he's in a watermelon at the moment. Oh, that's right. It's next episode that Michi gets his own bike. Uh, there's like a bike chase where he's fighting through different parts of the city and eventually he destroys the big boar. And uh, Bravo shows up after the beast is destroyed and uh, demands that they continue the fight. But then an alarm goes off on his watch and he realizes that he has to leave and uh, start baking the pie crusts. Uh, because, you know, he, he knows what he's really here for. So he runs off. Uh, Gaim has defeated, question mark, Bravo. And because Bravo beat all those other teams and isn't really beat Rider himself, they got all his points. So they're in first place by huge margin now. Yeah, uh, Mai shows up to celebrate at the at the Gaim headquarters, and it's a cake from the cakery place. Yep, it's a it's a cake from Charmant. And Kota looks at the little kind of... Uh, so in the earlier episode, there was a bit of uh, kind of a receipt thing attached to it that had a picture of uh, Orin. Now it has a picture of him in his common Rider mode. I mean, it's pretty clear he's doing this as advertising for his restaurant. He's just... It's those things where, like... Uh, athletes become like uh, restaurateurs afterwards, but he's doing it in the other direction. Good for him. Good for him. Except for that whole, you know, summoning monsters and attacking the public. Uh, he should probably get in trouble for that. I mean, I guess he assumed like a normal person would that these they're giving these to children. There has to be safeties on them. <laughs> Apparently not. There's lots of unsafe things going on, as we'll see in the next episode. Episode yeah. 8, Baron's newfound power, Mango. Very much spoiling the end of the episode. Good job, title. <laughs> well, I mean, I've kind of get the feeling that uh, these first like eight episodes are just a precursor to the actual series. Because as we'll see at the end of this episode, I, I feel like that's where the series actually begins. Uh, the series kind of begins in episodes 13 and 14. Well, like, they're... <laughs> We're still on the ramp up. We're still on the ramp-up. We're still on the Final Fantasy XIII, like, 36 hours of prologue before you actually get to play the game. I mean, Gaim is a slow acceleration, but Sam, you do not know what the plot of Gaim is yet. No. No, I don't. I really don't. It seems to... It's very much a moving target, Harry. Mm -hmm. Uh, the episode kicks off with DJ Sagra doing kind of a recap of the episodes we saw before. Uh, Baron winning a lot, and then he lost to Gaim, so Gaim's in first. And Baron is in fourth place, Harry. Also, how the fuck is Baron in fourth place? Like, even uh, even if Gaim jumps all the way to one, that should knock Baron down to fourth. Like, Baron was still Baron can still beat any other dance team through Pokemon battles, if not for dancing. Well, yeah, but like, I mean, I think it's a thing where I don't know. Maybe Bravo was just taking that many points from people when he won, and maybe it's a thing because he's not in the systems. Like, the, if you lose to him because he's not ranked, you lose a lot of points. There has to be. There really needs to be a solid like strength of schedule evaluation for this tournament. Like losing a a first place team, losing to an unranked team should not knock them down to fourth place. Like he needs to lose to those like teams like three and four to be knocked below them. And uh, Baron is just, like, looking angrily at the television as it transfers to a commercial for 
the Yggdrasil Corporation. Like, hey, welcome to the planned municipality of Zawame City, ran by the Yggdrasil Corporation. Oh, he does not like this commercial. He is angry. Angrier than usual. It's not helped when Bado comes up and is like, yeah, uh, Yggdrasil has done a lot to redevelop this whole community, yeah? I lived here for a while, moved away, and when I came back, it was a totally new place, so I started up a shop. Man, I, I love Yggdrasil. Isn't Yggdrasil such a great corporation that helps people, Baron? And Baron just slaps down somebody and runs out, saying, like, I need to be stronger. Yes, he turns around, looks at the building, the Yggdrasil building, and he basically declares his revenge on it. Yes. <laughs> what was his plan before, like, the belts happened? I don't know, just, like, regular street crime? Like, maybe becoming, like, a terrorist cell, planting bombs or something? <laughs> so he was gonna, like, he was gonna be a street, dance for a street dancer for a while, kind of an internet celebrity, and then Al-Qaeda? Hey, it's it's a career path. Uh, talking about career paths, Kota is off, uh, like, interviewing for some part-time positions. It does not go well. No, yeah. Uh, we then jump to Michi, who is holding the uh, melon driver, and it is decolored at this point. Like, it, it was, you know, uh, green like a watermelon, now it is uh, completely gray, and he theorizes that it is recharging. They don't get to use it for every fight. It, it's got a, it's a week-long cooldown or something. Yes, it is a very nice uh, plot-relevant uh, reason for uh, the mecha not being available in every single fight. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh... Cut to Takatora screaming at Sid for how did this happen? You know, because now the the uh, the street rats have a giant mech suit they developed. Uh, and Sid, like, has to... He's not giving up the whole game, but he's turning to him and saying, maybe it was your brother for some reason? Maybe he's stealing tech. And Takatora's like, no, my brother is beautiful and pure. He would never do something like this. Man, Sid, like, straight up told the evil guy... That his younger brother was involved in this. Like, he he left nothing to the imagination. He's like, hey, have you considered your brother? Could it be that you're a big dumb idiot who is who thinks he's so smart and on top of everything that you can't see the forest for the trees? Uh, and yeah, yeah, he does not see the forest nor the trees. And so Sid just kind of chuckles and walks away, saying he's going to investigate and see what happens. Mai is practicing on her own, doing some dancing in the street, when she notices, like, oh, there's some of those weird flowers we saw before. And she turns around a corner, and there's a crack just in the middle of the air, hanging in an alleyway. Uh, so she tries to call uh, Coda, or is Coda the main character's name? I'm trying to actually yeah, get Coda. character. Okay, so she tries to call Coda, and uh, he's in the middle of his uh, failing interview, so he does not pick up. So, like a child from a C.S. Lewis novel, she decides to dive right into the other world. Yeah, I mean, she sends a text saying, like, hey, I I found a crack in the air, I, you know, it's at this location, I'm gonna go through. So, I mean, she takes a weird amount of precautions, but does make a very big leap into a rift full of monsters that she can't fight. It's a bad move. Like, especially because you're going to become Ghost Mai at some point, so bad shit's gonna happen to you, girl. I mean, it does take long, the crack does close behind her. Yeah, so uh, we cut back. The main character, Koda, he gets a message and meets up with Miki, uh, Michi. Uh, the main character uh, goes in on his motorcycle, leaving Michi behind. Kota, you're doing all this for Mai. Uh, but he gets a call, because at the team clubhouse, uh, Sid has showed up and is asking about a stolen Lockseed. So Michi has to go and do some damage control. Uh, in the Mystery Forest, that they've started, they've started referring to as Helheim, so I can call it Helheim. Okay. Uh, Mai is getting attacked by monsters. Like, immediately. 
Yeah. Like, right away. Uh, and she is only barely saved from dying by Baron showing up, because he is grinding, as he usually does. He beats the three Invis that are attacking her trivially. Uh, he then explains to my like, very openly what he's doing there, that he's there to collect lock seeds, he even picks one in front of her and shows her. Like, he's not being secretive about his plan at all. Like, he's just like, oh, hey, girl that I kind of know that's on a rival team, this is exactly my secret plan. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, uh... Baron is not one for secrecy. Like, he'll just straight up tell... He's not a man for subtlety either. He'll scream about strength, you know, fight, tell you to, you know, either surrender or serve him, and then he'll lose and scream about needing to get stronger. Uh, Mai explains that there are more rips that are randomly appearing in the world, uh, whereas Baron says that, you know, hey, you're kind of slowing me down, but try and keep up if you're going to be following me. (laughs) Uh, Like, Mai does ask about Yuya, because she's still looking for him, and uh, Baron says, no, I haven't seen anybody else here. So we jump to the garage. Uh, Sid is there to twist Michi's arm a little bit about the watermelon seed because he knows damn well that Michi stole it. Yep. So Michi smiles, turns to his friends and is like, hey, can you, can you give me just a minute with this guy? It'll, it's totally fine. I just need to talk to him. So when they leave, he turns to him and says, yeah, I stole the lock seed. I was going to apologize later. It's it's weird, though. I can't really explain why I did it right now. Uh, you think maybe I should tell my brother that a mysterious lock dealer named Sid caught me into it? Do you, do you think you'd believe that? <laughs> uh, Sid kind of laughs at this. Oh, you're a bastard, Michi. Uh, yeah, and Michi says, like, no, the, let's not get twisted. I want to be friends. And because we're friends, you're going to do me a favor. Like, <laughs> Sid Sid came here to threaten Michi, and he's walking out needing to give him, like, extra equipment. Yep. Back into, uh, was it Helheim? Yep, Helheim. Yagdrasil and Helheim, so just a couple Norse mythology things. Okay, okay. I know those names, so I'll try to remember those. Like, Baron is explaining, like, I would expect Rips in Space to be ill-behaved. Like, the one you came in through is clearly gone, so you made a big mistake. Uh, Mai then notices that Baron is bleeding, so, you know, she sits him down and uh, applies some medical aid to him. Like Because it's time for the show to make Baron a little bit likable. Yeah. Uh, Like... Uh, she says, like, oh, you know, you were injured in a fight with the Invest, but then she sees there's a much deeper wound from uh, Bravo. It's just like, oh, why why are you this desperate for stronger locks and stuff like that? And Baron turns to her, turns to her and yells, only those with the will to win survive. The weak without, uh, the weak those without go extinct. And he says, like, do you, do you know how Zawabe City used to be? It was just a small suburb, you know, you could find it anywhere. Then Yagrasil came. And we get a flashback to why I knew before, Sam, that uh, Kaito doesn't have a trust fund. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, it uh, turns out Baron is angry at Yagdrasil because the city, or the company kind of came into the town and bought it. Like, yep. they just took over a suburb, completely renovated it, and, and they turned it into their, like, you know, arcology. They turned it into their, like, Shadowrun city, where they control absolutely everything, and they test on the subjects. Yep, and... Uh, Kaito's dad was like a construction foreman at a, they were, they were developing, you know, businesses around the city, city, but Zawame came in, bought it out and drove him out of business. And, you know, they did things by themselves and like, they don't go into it here, but some, some pretty dark stuff happened with Kaito's whole background. And he is, he is super on a revenge path. Yeah. Uh, entirely justified. Uh, we then cut to a quick kind of pseudo semi flashback of the main character Koda. Uh, as he drove his motorcycle into this uh, Helheim realm, it turns out that he drove it straight off a cliff. Yeah. I kind of 
I appreciate that the show is kind of subtly acknowledging that dimension jumping between two worlds with entirely different, like, uh, land masses and architecture would be pretty fucking dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yep, and it is subtly showing that this is a different region with different land masses and architecture. Uh, so he gets a concussion uh, from falling off a cliff, but he eventually wakes up and he's like, wait, why the hell am I here? Oh, that's right. Bye. Bye. Uh, so Mai is talking to Kaito some more, saying like, yeah, uh, you know, I'm from here too. Uh, my family uh, went through the same thing. And after we were built, our lives were never the same again. And, you know, I, I'm trying to get stronger too, just by helping people out and, you know, getting good friends and, uh, you know, when things get rough, some people grit their teeth and keep going. And I, I think that's what true strength is. When people are sad and barely holding on, I just want to make them smile by dancing. And Kaito says, no, that's not strength. Strength is earned by winning, by taking. Come on, I'm a dance, I'm a dance troop leader. How could I ever believe in making people happy? It's actually, it's a kind of interesting philosophical discussion between these two. Like, they they went through very similar traumas, but they're reacting to it. In entirely different ways, but very recognizable and very, very understandable ways. Yeah, they were crushed. Their whole uh, upbringings were crushed by a shitty corporation, and so Kaito is just desperately trying to get his and get power. But Mai's like, maybe we should just be nice to people and you know cheer things up. Hey, I absolutely believe this, and I also kind of absolutely believe that these two are kind of subtly like getting drawn to each other, maybe a little bit, like you know, through some shared trauma, shared backstory. Uh, cause, you know, the, the people surrounding her are kind of idiots in their own ways. Michi does show up, like, through a dimensional tear, just as, uh, Kota is getting swarmed by Infest. So it's, uh, Gaim and, uh, Ryugin versus, like, uh, a bunch of monsters, and there's, there's some good team fighting here. Yeah, they're up against, uh, a horsehead monster, uh, with, uh, some incredibly heavy armor. Like, it, it really just looks like a dude in heavy, like, dark medieval armor wearing, like, a, a fantasy, like, chest-style horse head. There is a big old fight. Uh, Kaito shows up, and they are, like, everybody's in the same place. Kaito is trying to use his spear, the wrong way, of course, against the monster, and it's not working. All their attacks are just, like, bouncing off of this guy, because his armor is just way, way too thick. If only he had a weapon meant for fighting armored opponents. Like, <laughs> like, Lazos definitely aren't. Yeah, uh, they, uh, Mai goes to Michi and, uh, jumps on the bike, and, uh, they open a portal, and, uh, uh, there's a portal that opens, and they jump through, and then the other two riders jump through, uh, uh, with, uh, the monster, uh, right behind them. And there's a confrontation in a warehouse, where things go on for a little bit, Gaim's sword is bouncing off, and it's like, oh wait, I have that, uh, that mace flail thing, so I'll transform to that, and then cut, and then Baron realizes, oh, you know, I- these lock seeds are different weapons for different situations. So let's use my, uh, let's use uh, Baron's new mango power. Yeah, and so he transforms, and between the the mace and uh, the flail, uh, they are able to take down Horsehead pretty effectively. Uh, don't mess with the mango. Quick note before we move on: uh, this is kind of the first time we see this as they're transitioning between the uh, two different styles of costumes, and I, I kind of realize what they're actually doing with the costumes for the people. So the common Rider suits that everyone is wearing, it's mostly just, like, basic padding. Uh, only the shoulder pads are, uh, like, colorful and distinct, and they are completely interchangeable. So it seems like that's, you know, that's a very clever and creative way. So they kind of, instead of having, like, a hundred different costumes like they had to have for common Rider Double, 
Like, these are just one costume with new shoulder pads uh, a piece for every transformation that they get. Yeah, like, I mean, that's how it, that's how it works in the, uh, in the fiction as well, because you can see kind of the basic suit they have before the fruit comes down through a dimensional portal and becomes armor. You say weird things during these shows, but uh, that is how it works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Kota and Michi are both smiling and turning to buy, who for her part kind of walks off and says, like, hey, you know, Kaito, thanks for helping me out there. Wait, Kaito or Kota or... G- Gaiman Grape Boy, as you call him. I need to keep... Uh, God damn it. it. It's Baron. I'll get you that... Uh, I'll get you the the cheat sheet. I just need to tape it next to my computer screen, Harry. Like, why did why did they have, like, the two male leads have names that are so fucking close? Perhaps because they're dark mirrors of each other? I'm, ne- I'm going to be getting that wrong in, like, you know, in 15 episodes. I'm still going to be mixing up Kaido and Kota. Do you remember when we were kids and we were, like, playing video games a lot, and we went through Suikoden 2 that one time, and we named the main character Jowie? So it was Jowie and his childhood friend Jowie, and, like, when they broke up apart, it was the Highwood Ar- Army led by Jowie versus the Highwood Army led by Jowie? Yep. Yep. Oh, that was a mistake. Maybe, maybe this is, like, a curse. Maybe the game cursed me so I would never remember names correctly. You just broke that part of your brain, and you've been living with it every day since. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, Baron is, you know, you as you would expect, he doesn't really c- connect. He says, like, whatever, I'm strong, and he walks away. And uh, Michi, because he is pretty clever, is like, you know, this whole situation is getting worse, and I'm starting to think we may have a problem, because you wandered through while those cracks by. Do you think maybe some monsters might be wandering through and showing up in places where we don't see them? Cut to a man getting eaten in an alleyway by some kind of a crab moth thing that's like hanging from an overpass. I think it's bat themed. I mean, I'll double check, but I didn't get a great look at it. It's a flying invest and it is loose in the city. And uh, starting next episode, they're going to have to hunt it down. So, yeah. And that brings us to a close of these two of these episodes. What did you think, Harry? Yeah, I liked them. Like they're. I think next episode, like, they don't get the full plot break, but, uh, so they are hunting the thing, but also very soon the main characters are going to fed up and start directly interacting with the plot. And that happens, like, episode 10. So we're going to start getting some answers, and I'll start to be able to explain to you why some of these crazy systems are set up the way they are. Are you ever going to be able to explain why a dance competition settles battles through Pokemon? Yes, I will. There's a very specific answer. Okay, I look forward to it. Uh, and that's Skyme, but in Pirate Senteko Kaiger. Uh, news has gotten back to the home office, and someone is showing up to start settling some scores. Oh, no. Yeah, we begin in uh, in full form, the third and final act of Pirate Senteko Kaiger. <laughs> And indeed, we will cover those subjects. But, uh, as I later remembered, we have something, we have another obligation to fulfill. uh, Because the next episode after this one is our next section of coverage of SSSS Gridman. uh, Episodes 5 through 8. And uh, we've already recorded it. And I'm going to be honest, if you're not, it... If you're not interested in two podcast hosts kind of squabbling over the quality of uh, what I think is a good anime, we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>